When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello and welcome to The Tonight Show. Is the RTE scandal beginning to bite in the pocket? A dip in people renewing their TV licence has been seen in the last number of weeks. I was in a bar last night and most of the people said no, but they won't pay it. I'll continue to pay, yeah. We'll still probably continue doing it, but I kind of wish I wasn't. <laughs> Should businesses like hairdressers, restaurants and hotels get to keep their 9% VAT rate? And later, as Europe bakes in severe heat, Met Aaron released a climate report that lays bare what climate change is doing to our country. That system change is now very much underway. Uh, and we also need adaption as well, uh, because unfortunately, um, some of climate change uh, is already baked in. You can join our conversation online with your comments and your questions on the hashtag TonightVMTV. The RT scandal has thrown up many questions and today we got an answer to one of them. Would it affect how people pay the TV licence? Well, we found out that while people were tuning in to the drama, some were also dropping out. There's been a big fall in the number of people renewing their TV licences with figures down by almost a third in the first half of July. It prompted Media Minister Catherine Martin to speculate whether it was a blip or a trend. It's too early to see if that's a long-term trend. I'm looking at the longer-term trend um, when, when I assess what my budgetary ask will be in September because um, we, we don't know if people are, um, you know, it, are, are people holding back? Um, is it just an initial quick reaction to, to the controversies? So how are people feeling about the TV licence? Virgin Media News asked some in Cork. People are going to be finding it hard now to pay after all this controversy. I was in the bar last night and most of the people said no, but they won't pay it. I'll continue to pay, yeah. Why are you continuing to pay? Because um, it's just the right thing to do, yeah. It's just within the law. I'll just see how it plays out. Uh, you don't feel like paying it, but then you don't want to draw uh, people to your door either. I wouldn't pay a TV licence until the whole thing is sorted out. I take my chances. I won't be paying it. Definitely won't be paying it. So some mixed views there from Cork. Well, let's look into this more. I'm joined by Fianna Fáil Senator Timmy Dooley, Christina Finn, political correspondent at The Journal, Fergus Finlay, columnist at The Irish Examiner, and I'm also joined on Skype tonight by independent TD Michael Healy-Ray. You're all very welcome along to the programme. Um, to come to you first, Timmy Dooley, can you understand why we'd see this sizeable drop in, in new TV licence being issued and renewals at this time of year? Yeah, I can. I mean, there's been a huge break in the public trust uh, in RTE. There's been an enormous reaction uh, over the last number of weeks. Those of us that are out and about meeting people, it's all they're talking about. Um, whilst it mightn't be the biggest story out there, it certainly is getting the greatest reaction from the public. So there's 
a huge job of work now to be done. Um, I think the Oireachtas has done well over the last number of weeks in shining a light on some of the practices, particularly at management level within RTE. Now, there are some changes. There's a new director general. There's a new leadership team. Uh, the government um, has a significant level of investigation ongoing. Uh, there, are, there are three. So I think it would be foolish to predict right now how the public will react ultimately in terms of paying the licence. People that I'm meeting are saying, some are saying yes. It's very similar to the Vox Pop. Quite a lot are well, saying, we have let's seen, see the changes. We have seen 6,000 fewer people pay their licence fee in June and July. That's down a million euro uh, to the national broadcaster. And then in the second week of July compared to it last year, we've actually seen a 31% reduction in licence fee payments. I mean, that's pretty sizable. It's, it's very significant. Um, but do, I you think see it, do you see it on that question of whether this is, this is a blip or this could be the beginning of the end for the licence fee as we know it? It, where could, do you see it, it? it could well be. I think it'd be way too early to determine that. But I think what's also coming across and has been for some time is a recognition that RTE as a public service broadcaster and has to be appropriately funded. That hasn't been done for now. But there's also a recognition that TV3, uh, Virgin Media, uh, and other local stations and regional stations, and indeed elements of the, the print media who carry on very good public service journalism, that that too, which is under very significant threat, both at national and local level, needs to get some support, either from the taxpayer indirectly through a licence fee or through a broader level uh, of taxpayer contributions. Okay, so I what think you're that's talking about the there is, is, is an overhaul, really, of the system that we currently have. Um, Fergus, um, before we get to all of that in the funding model, is the licence fee fit for purpose? Uh, probably not. And, I mean, the problem that the licence fee faces in the immediate future is there's going to be, as Timmy says, a number of additional reports. They're all going to be critical. None of them is going to come out and say, RT is wonderful. They're all going to find more fault. Mm -hmm. So Orti's reputation is going to get worse before it starts getting better. And until that settles down, people are going to be really, really disgruntled. I mean, I think an awful lot of people who watched the performance in front of the Oireachtas committees were genuinely shocked, genuinely shocked at some of the silly stuff that was unfolding, but also some of the attitudes that appeared to be presented, uh, you know, from very, very senior and very well-paid managers in Orti. I know people who work in RTE and they were shocked, completely and absolutely shocked and felt betrayed mm -hmm. um, uh, by, you know, by their own bosses. Um, so I suspect the licence fee, if nothing else were to happen, I suspect the licence fee is going to face an awful lot of uh, difficulties in the months ahead. Even if it didn't, though, we're going to have to address the model. The model is not sustainable in the long term. I mean, this is a conversation that, as many would say, is long overdue. Um, 15 years overdue. Yeah. And, and it's sort of... It, 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 it comes out to play for a while and then it goes back uh, back again. So interesting that politically, it's not really being it's not really being touched. It's not being dealt with in any way, Christina, yeah, for, over all those years yeah, when it's come up consistently. Many many years. Like I remember Pat Rabbit, and even before that, we've been talking about the TV license fee and how to overhaul it. It really, um, you know, when the Future of Media Commission presented its report. That was really, I think, the catalyst for the government in terms of we actually need to take a serious look at this and take action. And there was a recommendation to overhaul that. The problem is, is we're heading into the end of this uh, government term. We're facing into an election, be it um, next year or early 2025 or, or even earlier, who knows. It's, it's not a great time for the government to start presenting 
um, you know, ideas of revenue coming into people's bank accounts or, or salary and taking out the, the TV licence fee. I can't see that being a solid sell for the government. But the question so is... So kicking the can down the road again on this one? Per perhaps, do you know what I mean, in terms of... Uh, but I think the bigger question needs to be asked about, uh, about uh, making it easy for people to pay. It's still quite a difficult task, I think, for people. You know, we have Netflix, we have, you know, all the other streaming um, uh, online, and there's so many much easier ways to pay. And I think that might be a, a mechanism that the government could look at in terms of making it a bit more accessible rather than a big lump for, um, sum. Yeah, there is a, a, there is an option for a direct debit, but again, it's it's not that easy okay, to so click through option. Similar to um, a monthly payment that you may yeah. have for, for your other subscriptions. Um, Michael Healy-Ray, I want to get your take on this, because given that OnPost collects the licence, Fee. Have you seen a drop off in renewals um, or new fee payers at, at uh, your post office in Kilgarvan? Yes, I have. And in my uh, extensive clinics uh, throughout County Kerry, it's a very uh, much talked about subject. But the one thing that we have to realise is that the media world does not revolve solely around RT. And we're not like America, where the media outlets there are what I would call politically biased, the independent outlets. So when we have government ministers coming out and saying, well, we have to have a national broadcaster, I would agree with that. Of course we do. But we have to be careful that we're not accusing our local radio stations, which we all cherish very much. I adore Radio Kerry for obvious reasons. It, it, it reports everything that happens in County Kerry. And all of the other uh, local radio stations throughout the country are very important. But then if you look at the likes of what we're doing now here on Virgin Media, no one can seriously come along and accuse any of these outlets of being politically biased one way or another. So and we do have, we we do have um, within Virgin Media News and Current Affairs remit and at which we yes. strictly adhere to and, and you know and we yes. do see this as part of and a public service. And I think broadcasters do in local radio um, and and on um, commercial channels such as our fair. own. But just on that subject of the licence fee, um, to come back to that, Michael Healy-Ray, do you think people should be paying it? We've seen this drop off. Um, you said you're not remotely surprised. Um, do you get the sense um, that this is the, the beginning of the end for the licence fee and that something else must replace it at this point? One of your contributors, I think, at the beginning there, uh, the people that were met out in the streets and they gave their opinion. One man said, I won't pay it until all this gets sorted out. And I re really think that an awful lot of people are going to be doing that. And what they're saying is, uh, until we see what the outcome of all of this is going to be, and until they see a root and branch review of the licence and what they're getting for the licence. And I think if they thought that, for instance, that there was a more equal and level playing field for all media outlets, because remember, whether it's local radio, whether it's the virgin medias of the world, these people are all providing a massive public service. It doesn't just have to be the national broadcaster that's providing a pub public service because all of you are doing a very fair and proper political service and public service uh, as far as I can and just see. just to clarify... 
just to clarify, Michael, we're not paying you for that commentary, but thank you. We do, we do, no, no, we do appreciate when, it. Um, and I, you know, I, I do, I do think that, that that is one of the criticisms that there are other offerings out there. So, I mean, to come to you, you for the advertisement for his post office either. <laughs> no, he's not at no all. No fees no. either way. Um, no, no fees, no, no exchange there uh, whatsoever. But Fergus, just to come back to it. Um, you know, on on whether the licence fee is fit for purpose and what way we go forward. This is this is this tinkering at the edges here, or is there a case to be made for this? You know, um, so for example, we had we have someone you know getting in touch with the show saying the licence fee should be replaced by taxation, assuming that RT uh, ra is radically restructured. And um, is that the way it's heading now? Because we don't get a sense from government. Well, I think, th I think there's two really, really important points to be made. First of all, Michael Lee Ray made the point that public sector broadcasting, public service broadcasting is not just about RTE. And he's right. Public service broadcasting is anything that entertains, informs and educates and stimulates debate in the country. It's about drama. It's about sport. It's about music. It's about culture. It's about art. It's about the minorities. But it's also very much about news and current affairs. And there is no station our newspaper, that can do it all on its own anymore. It's just not possible. Advertising ain't what it used to be and never will be what it, what it used to be. So in the early 2000s, Iceland, then Finland, then Norway, then Sweden, then Denmark, so now all of the Nordic countries, all of whom have similar approaches to public, broadcast, public service broadcasting that we do, all switched away from a licence fee model into a tax-based model. Some of them tax on citizens, some of them tax on citizens and companies. None of them, none of them managed to charge more than the licence fee in terms of and the And do they total. have ads? So one or two have ads, not all okay. of them have ads. So, I mean, I, like, I'm just wondering with all of this, Timmy, like, again, we're talking about all a, of this and something will model, have to be way. done. The Nordic model, we've heard that now in recent days, that this is the way other countries are doing it. Um, and then we did have this report that was out, the, the, the Commission for the Future of Media, recommending that the licence fee be abolished from 2024 and it be replaced by exchequer funding or an explicit taxation report. Mm. So why are you ignoring that and waiting for report after report to come down the line well, I, before you, a call is made on it? I'm certainly not ignoring it because I did a paper back in 2016 or 17 when I was opposition spokesperson. It is politically being ignored. It, 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 it may well be, but I think it now comes into sharp focus. But I have felt for a long time that if you believe in public service media, if you believe in public service journalism, then you must accept that it's paid for. It's just a matter of how you pay for it. General taxation, because the, the uh, coffers are doing quite well now, would be a relatively easy option. Okay. It may be more challenging and more difficult into the future. If so our, what about what Christina was saying about that being politically a problem? Is that a problem? It's, it, it's a political problem if you say that you force everybody now to pay a licence or you do some kind of a broadcasting change. <coughs> because there are people who, under the current remit, consume public service journalism, public service media, um, but they don't pay a licence because the only people that pay a licence is somebody who has a television. But if you have a laptop, if you have a phone, you can be so, still consuming so media that has been yeah, really expensive to produce. This is the broadcast charge. This yeah, is, this the, is broadcast the broadcast charge. charge. So, so they're talking so about bringing only, in and revenue handling There's two that. options. Would you say no to that? No, I wouldn't. But I think an easier, an easier option would be for the state to say they'll carry it from central taxation. However... I think that wouldn't even be acceptable at the minute until people see a significant change 
in the way RTE does its mm -hmm. business. I think that can happen. I think Kevin Backhurst has the capacity with his leadership team to make that happen. But people will need to see that before they'll want to see the government commit yeah, so central have, funds. Let's talk about this, because we did behalf. hear um, from Catherine Martin today, Christina, saying that RT may require €16 million Euro in interim funding in the budget, and that that figure was actually under discussion before um, this RTE payment scandal broke. So we don't know, you know, what sort of figure that they'll come to now and what sort of assessment well, will look, be made on that because no, a lot has changed. It's what no surprise. It's no surprise that RT has um, is going to need additional funding. It's needed additional funding for many, many years now. They've they've come cap in hand to the committees for um, I think I think it's nearly four or five years at least that they've been after asking for additional funding to fill that gap. So it really is no surprise that that is going to be the case in budget. It's going to be a difficult one, I suppose, for the is government to, to balance. So you know, the minister, in fairness, is getting out early and trying to you know uh, level the crown there to give people due warning that this is going to come and they will be getting additional funding. But I think the Taoiseach has indicated in a number of responses that he's given to the media that there is definitely going to be some sort of overhaul at this stage, and he's done seem to be in favour of divvying it out to um, other broadcasters or online publications, newspapers, um, independent productions. That does seem to be the road that we are travelling down. But if you do that, the pool's got to get bigger because you can't be expecting with the same quantum of money to spread it more thinly because that's going to damage. I mean, there is a precedent for this. You know, there is... I mean, when you talk about the thing not being politically palatable, it must be, therefore, really politically palatable for the state to be investing as much as it does in horses and greyhounds. Because for the last 20 years, there's been a ring-fenced fund which has ploughed more than two billion into the horse and greyhound racing industry. And that is financed, or was supposed to be financed, by the income from betting taxes. But it ain't. It's financed okay. out of the general well, tax. How many jobs does that sustain in rural Ireland? A very significant amount okay, of jobs. OK, let's get Michael Healy Ray in on that one. So we have I'm um, not the arguing state, against yeah. it. I'm saying it's a precedent. The venting or, or helping out um, the horse racing, racing industry. Um, and we've heard about greyhounds uh, as well. Um, so, you know, to provide interim funding uh, to RTE of €16 million, Euro, maybe more... What do you make of that, uh, Michael Healy? Well, I just have to deal with the with the greyhounds, the dogs, and the horses. I don't want and to I have to say, to really want to go grossly off topic, but briefly, well, go yes, on. But I, but but I just have to answer that in the, that any money, as far as I'm concerned, that is spent in those uh, sports, uh, it's money well spent because it is keeping a massive amount of people uh, in work, and it's uh, there's massive spin-offs especially in rural Ireland, and, and I would sustaining, defend... On, the on, and, and on sustaining um, the, the national broadcaster and an interim funding of some €16 million, Euro, what would be your view on that? Is it just Well, coming, ba coming back to that, it, when you're talking about the licence fee and when you're talking about what's going to happen in the future, the people are demanding and they're insisting that there would be a slimmed-down uh, RTE and that the excesses that they've been hearing about at the Arachtus committees and the what I would call reckless spending and overspending and money that is just not sustainable and not, uh, uh, how would you say it, it's not, uh, it's not sensible what has been going on. And those excesses have to be trimmed. And we have to question, and obviously no names or anything like that, but we have to question how the national broadcaster could actually be paying individuals more than, for example, the Taoiseach and the Tarnishta 
together what they would earn that any other one individual would be earning it. I don't think that's okay. actually right. The people aren't going to take to that or accept that any longer. OK, well, all of that, of course, under negotiation right now, really, isn't it? Um, just to give you a word from the Director-General of RTE, Kevin Backhurst, who has said that he is grateful um, for those who have continued to buy a TV licence during a period when events have cast such a dark shadow over RTE and they have every right to feel let down and to take uh, the opportunity to reiterate that what they're trying to do is rebuild uh, trust in the organisation. That story will run and uh, run. Um, but for now, my thanks to uh, my panel on that. I just want to bring you some news coming into us this evening. And roads around Ballybrack in South Dublin have been closed due to an anti-refugee protest in the area tonight. And a large Garda presence currently remains at the scene after damage was caused uh, to a building in the village. And Garda say they have no further comment to make on the situation. Local junior minister Jennifer Carroll McNeil has condemned what she called unacceptable disruption and destruction. Now, my thanks to Fergus Finlay and to Michael Healy Ray. Timmy and Christina are staying on with me as we ask should the 9% VAT rate stay for hairdressers, for restaurants, and for hotels? Welcome back. Over the next few months, the government will hear lots of talk about what should be done to help us all in the budget. One of the big questions for Michael McGrath and Pascal Donoghue is whether the VAT rate for businesses like hairdressers, restaurants and hotels uh, should be raised. Today, two of those groups joined together to lobby for keeping it as is. Well, Timmy Dooley and Christina Finn are still with me and I'm joined by Adrian Cummins, CEO of the Restaurants Association of Ireland and Lisa Eccles, President of the Irish Hairdressers Federation. And I'm joined on Skype tonight by Stephen Kinsler, who's Professor of Economics at the University of Limerick. And um, you're all very welcome along uh, to the show tonight. Adrian and Lisa, um, an unlikely pairing, you may say, it's restaurants, restaurants and, and hairdressers, but you're coming together because what you share in common is being in the service industry and this uh, reduced 9% VAT rate. So to come to you first, Adrian, on it, what's your case for retaining it at 9%? Well, the 9% VAT rate is the right rate, rate of VAT when you compare Ireland to the rest of the European Union. If it moves up to 13.5%, it makes Ireland the second highest VAT rate within Europe after Denmark. And... Uh, now is not the right time to, do, to increase the VAT rate, in our opinion. Our industry in the hospitality sector has 440 million euros worth of uh, warehouse tax due to the state over COVID. That means these businesses and businesses that I represent in the food, sec the food service industry mm -hmm. owe this money to the government. It's fallen due and it needs to be paid, paid back. And on top of that, then another VAT increase of, of a 50% increase on, on the VAT rate will make us uncompetitive and put a huge amount of pressure on low margin businesses, which are food businesses. Many of those are between working between one and 5% margin at the moment and a 4.5% increase in the VAT will tip them over the edge. But you did survive on 13.5% VAT rate prior to all of this. It was a different time. It was, an, it, it was one year out of 12 years where the VAT rate was reduced to 9%. And at that stage where, you know, Ireland was in full economic flow, uh, we've seen many, many towns and villages across the state, predominantly in the West Coast, where we've seen accommodation uh, taken out of circulation for the refugee and humanitarian crisis, fully supported the, the humanitarian supports that have been given. But these towns and downstream businesses that we, we uh, represent are being hugely affected in those, those, those areas, which means they'll have a very lean summer 
which they need to build up their cash flow to get them through the winter. And on top of that, then you just add in the cost of business, the cost of energy, okay. the cost of everything else in terms of running a, a small business at the moment. Lisa, why is it so important for the hairdressing industry and what's the consequence of it going? I think similar to what Adrian said, like we are, you know, a labour intensive um, industry. We need an awful lot of clients like coming in and coming in regularly, which they're already like since um, COVID, we've seen a big difference in the um, regularity of clients coming into the salon. So for us, it's super important that the Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Clients are still coming in, that they feel like they're getting value for money, that we don't have to add to all these other... So are you reducing, are you reducing costs to... The bill that someone will pay after getting their hair done when you have your fat rate at 9%. No, Our customers seeing that. That will have to be at when, when when it was brought in for the 9%, originally it was a, a COVID measure to try and help the businesses keep people in employment. And that was the same in 2011. That was after the recession. It was really to try and help the businesses. But we would have no choice now, like Adrian said, with the margins that we're running at, yeah. we have no choice but to pass that on to the consumer now. OK, let's bring Stephen Kinsler in on this. Um, Stephen, you've heard the arguments for maintaining this 9% VAT rate um, for uh, this sector. You know, according to Adrian, it's out of sync with um, the rest of the European Union and times are different now than they were pre-pandemic and before that again. Um, and from Lisa as well about staffing and keeping people in jobs. What's your take on it? Um, my take on it is quite simple. Um, this, this measure has cost the taxpayer about €3 billion Euros more than 3 billion euros since 2011. Um, it, it is designed, it was designed as a stimulus measure, exactly as, as both Adrian and Lisa said. However, the logic of any kind of stimulus is gone now. The economy is at full employment. Um, households have, uh, um, they're doing very well across the economy and things are things are booming. So there's no logic really for further um, uh help from the taxpayer. Um, th these sectors are being privileged over other sectors um, and have been for a very long time, for some for very good reasons, others for not. There's no evidence to show that any any further reduction or any keeping of this will result in pass-through to customers. Um, quite the opposite, in fact. As Lisa said, it will get passed on, so it will increase the cost of living um, slightly. But um, overall, at an economy at full employment, there's no logic in any um, 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 further sectoral stimulus. Unless you believe that these sectors are kind of like a flamingo in a flock of pigeons, 
and there's something specifically special about them and there's no evidence of this now it should be said the debate here is quite caricatured you know we talk about hotels and the price of taylor swift tickets and you know this kind of stuff but it's quite a complicated area you know you have everyone from uh from hairdressers to map makers to 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 um b and b's should, and everything should, else should we there, differentiate so between should we differentiate yeah. then between you know, different parts of the of, of the service industry, the hospitality industry, when it comes to this, then we haven't actually got on to, to, to Taylor uh, Swift tickets yet and, and price gouging, at, um, accusations of price gouging at hotels. But do you think there's a difference or do you not see one at all yeah, think, between restaurants, hairdressers and then what, what hotels are charging right now? I think if you're going to make an argument about stimulating certain parts uh, of the package of sectors, if you like, that are 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 being looked at, and um, you'd want to get very fine grained on it. Currently, it's it's not a good use of the taxpayers' money. To give everyone watching this a sense of scale, we've spent about two children's hospitals since 2011 on this one measure. It's a lot of money, and um, we could put it. We could put it to a lot of other uses. The economic logic for it doesn't exist right now, and it's not clear to me that it will exist into the future. Um, I, I, one of the things I, I, I am just really concerned about at the moment is we see prices rising, but we also see profits rising as well, and we're not seeing wages in the sectors rising either. Let's get reaction. Um, now that, that might be an issue going forward. Let's uh, get reaction to that, Adrian. What do you have to say to that? That you know, you shouldn't be. There should be no special treatment afforded to you, and, and why should it be? Well, just to, to respond to Stephen there, only yesterday we saw a report in terms of insolvencies, uh, insolvencies in hospitality and predominantly in the food service industry, which is restaurants and, and cafes and pubs that serve food, is up 218%. That just shows the level of businesses that are going to the wall already. And we can foresee that if a VATRIC goes These up... These are businesses that were hugely supported as well during the pandemic and, and received an awful lot of state support. We're thankful to the government for everything that they've done for us because they saved a substantial amount of businesses in this country and kept a lot of people in their jobs right across the economy. And, but this and is some about... may have argued that those businesses may not have been sustainable if they didn't have those supports, that they may not have been sustainable in any case, that this was inevitable that we would well, see this. The, 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 the decision is very clear to us do you increase the VAT rate and cut these businesses loose and let them let them uh, die? That's essentially what's going to happen in in uh, in the autumn and winter when energy costs are going up by two hundred percent to three hundred percent for businesses. Uh, and you know that is the facts of the matter. Overall right. costs in our industry has gone up by twenty five percent across the board over from 2019 to 2022. All right. Uh, what struck me, Timmy, was Stephen saying there that we could have built two children's hospitals, two Irish children's hospitals at that, uh, probably in that time. Is that an awful lot of money that could have been spent elsewhere that was instead um, given to not everyone, but just specific sectors? Yeah, I mean, Stephen sets out the, the macroeconomic position. In fact, when it was introduced first, um, it was it was done as a, as a hit on private pension funds, which never got to recover from that. So it has cost a lot of people significant amounts of money over a period of time. But that doesn't take from the challenges that Adrian um, and Lisa have rightly identified. And there's two economies in Ireland. There's what's happening in Dublin and on the east coast, and what's happening in the west of Ireland and well, are, in southern yeah, areas. What are you suggesting so, well, then it's be not, done? It's, it's not possible to, to to resolve that through the VAT rate, but it, there there may be other options to support businesses in certain areas or businesses below certain uh, income thresholds. Because, of course, we have to have 
a thriving economy uh, in the in, in the in the more isolated areas. You do need restaurants in villages and okay, towns. So you're talking about grants and state aids I'm in place about, of this I'm across the board. About certain that supports rate. that will have to be looked at. I mean, there was proposals did come forward that said, look at the food industry or the food service sector versus hotel accommodation, because mm. rightly, and you've you've alluded to the what's happening in the hotel sector right across uh, the piece. But 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 we do need to ensure that we maintain um, hospitality facilities for people who live. Uh, in less okay. densely populated okay, areas. Okay, so you're talking about a, a, a split there. Not in the VAT the, rate, not in the VAT rate. You couldn't, you, you, you couldn't manage no, that. No, not in the VAT you, rate, yeah. but that you would get grants and other supports afforded to other, businesses other outside of Dublin. Of addressing that, depending the, on okay. income thresholds. All right, uh, Christina, the political context of all of this, because the government has ceded to, you know, lobbying on this to a huge extent. I mean, that's, been, that's always been the criticism around this VAT rate, that there's some people that are listened to and then these decisions are made that actually cost an awful lot of money. You will, of course, get the sectors that say, we need this to survive. But at the end of the day, we are going to see at the end of, at the end of August that this rate will, in fact, go back up to 13 and a half. Yeah, look, there's, there's no doubt about it. Um, Adrian and his you know, industry have been lobbying hard on backbenchers um, in the last number of weeks on this issue. No doubt they will over the next number of months running up to the budget. But this is a difficult discussion, I think, for politicians to have because it is uh, multifaceted in terms of the, the outreach that it has into its own constituencies, into the businesses that are calling at the doors of politicians saying that they're going to the wall. Um, so it does have a real impact, I, I suppose, on politicians and at the end of the day, their seats and, and where they might end up come a general election. But I think, you know, there have been an argument made for a decoupling of the of the hotels and the restaurant industry. And it's, I'm wondering, actually, with it's this... a difficult one to, oh, like, Revenue yeah. have said that they kind of want to stay away. It obviously is going to make their job a hell of a lot harder mm. to do. But, you know, when you have narratives and headlines like the Taylor Swift, like yeah. the, the hotels, and I'm sure there's plenty of hoteliers watching tonight that are, are not, um, you know, price gauging at all in other parts of the country. Sure. But it is those big headlines that, that really do irk people when it comes to having this debate. OK, well, a, a few weeks ago, Minister of State Jack Chambers was asked about this very issue on the programme, and, and here's what he had to say. The VAT rate's going up at the end of August anyway um, for the wider hotel and hospitality sector. So they're not going to get an extension this time? No, we'll be very clear about that. Very clear about that, no extension, Adrian? Yeah, well, it's our, it's our job as representatives of a sector to put, put forward our best case. We believe the 9% VAT rate is the right, right rate for VAT. Yeah. And to be fair, we've met with the backbenchers and both uh, government political parties, both Fianna Fáil and Gael, and they're very supportive of it continued and uh, well, our food, food But technically, of course, it won't continue. It won't continue unless you, you know, start that lobbying again in, er in earnest pre-budget. Um, Lisa, on this, is there a decision to kind of separate yourselves out from hotels when it comes to, I mean, to I seeking um, the, the VAT rate to stay at 9%? I mean, all I would say is like, we are lobbying for the hair side of things. Our, like our small businesses are really struggling. The energy crisis is like, I'm still paying three times what yeah. I was like a year and a half ago. I'm asking those, that because you've joined up with the restaurants in doing yeah. this, but I there's no like sign with, of with, the hotels. With restaurants, I feel like that we are just very similar businesses. You know, the way that we operate with having staff. Um, I know like with the hotel, 
tells if they need to separate them out, they were able to separate hair and beauty. Beauty operates at a different. Okay. Um, so you believe you're, you so face different challenges, and maybe hotels like even, even don't breaks, face those challenges when it right now. It breaks down to even like wage costs. Most salons, which people probably don't realise, is your wage costs are up to seventy, even seventy-five percent of every penny that comes in the door. That's before you've paid any rent, before you've paid any you know rates, anything mm. like that. So the margins are really quite small, and I think the politicians just have to listen to what small businesses are trying to tell them about what's happening day to day. Okay. Stephen, and we've heard this argument about tight margins and small businesses and you have small restaurants and, and cafes that are trying to keep afloat right now and that having that lowered VAT rate means they can stay in business and keep people employed. I, I, I take the argument. However, at this exact point in time, households have, there never been more, there has never been more money in on deposit in Ireland's banks. There have never been more people working. Um, it's quite hard to get a, a, a reservation in, in, in some hotels. Um, there, there is no logic for stimulating a sector at a moment where it, the actual problem that most businesses have is that they can't get enough workers to satisfy the demand for 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 the product that, that, that the people are producing. So at this exact moment, there is no logic for continued stimulus of pretty much any sector, um, and and particularly one that has seen essentially continuous stimulus for 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 all over over a decade. Um, I don't believe that the data bear that out. I don't believe the facts bear it out. You know, um, just on the insolvency uh, uh, line, for example. You know, last year there were 277 insolvencies in 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 hospitality, um, and this year there are 410. So you you you're hearing very large numbers like 215 percent increases and stuff like that. But like we're talking about, there are tens of thousands of of businesses in this sector. So I do think we we do want to scale things down. We do want to have have a, a reasoned and measured debate. And I, I think the data show clearly that the logic for any continued stimulus is quite poor. The good news is that there will be enough in the in in the state's finances to stimulate the the sector if it's required again. And I think that's a very good thing. And I think that that you know that the the Restaurants Association of Ireland and, right. and, and in particular the Hairdressers Association are, are very well served by the lobbyists because they've been okay. extremely successful at tapping the public purse for the last decade. Uh, unfortunately I think it's time to um, see that stop. Okay, well, look, this is a row that's certainly going to rumble on. We'll have to leave it there, but we will hear it resurface, of course, uh, pre-budget. Um, my thanks to Stephen, who joined us on Skype tonight, um, and uh, to Christina Finn, Adrian Cummins and Lisa Eccles. Timmy will be staying on with me because coming up next, as Europe burns, a Metairn report shows just how much the new climate um, has changed our weather here at home. Welcome back. We've heard a lot about the climate emergency and how it's hitting the world hard. Today, Met Aaron showed a snapshot of what changes we have seen in Ireland in the last three decades. In short, the weather has changed and Ireland has become warmer, wetter and sunnier. The weather is predicted to get more extreme. Well, in Europe, of course, we're seeing extraordinary temperatures never seen before. Just before we came on air, I spoke to Joan Larkin just outside Alicante and I asked her how difficult it's been there where she is. It's at the moment, it's 33.5 degrees outside. And as you can see behind me, it's dark. Um, today we had a high of 39.5. 
but we're expecting in the region of 44 to 46 by the coming weekend. That's incredible and uh, hard to fathom really from where we are right now. Of course, there are plenty of Irish holidaymakers heading over to Spain and in Spain right now, given the time of year it is. What precautions um, have you taken? What have you been told by um, authorities advising people on staying safe with these incredible temperatures? Well, the Spanish Ministry of Health have issued some guidelines for both people who live here and for visitors who are coming here. And it's the usual advice about the heat, but they're just asking people to please, if you're coming here on holiday, don't get complacent about the heat just because you're here just for two weeks. It is extremely dangerous at the moment. And the advice is to stay in out of the sun between 12 and 4. I understand that's difficult when you're on holiday and you want to be at the pool and enjoy yourself. Drink loads and loads of water and try and stay out of the sun. Use sun cream. But the main advice is to just take care, especially if you're traveling with young children and infants or elderly people or anybody whose health might be compromised in any way, to take extra care because heat stroke can happen in a matter of minutes. And the heat here at the moment is very, very intense. It's very humid. And even now, like at nighttime outside, there's no respite. Temperatures drop at nighttime, maybe 10 degrees in the difference from what they were during the day. So. At 6 a.m. this morning here, it was already 31 degrees. Uh, you talk about all those precautions and what the authorities are telling people, but are tourists especially abiding by that or, or are you still seeing throngs uh, going to the beach given that this is high season and people are taking their two weeks in the sun despite the temperatures? Oh, absolutely. The beaches are thronged all the way down the Costa Blanca here. The beaches are thronged. People are enjoying themselves. And you do see an awful lot of sunburned bodies coming back up in the evening time. And obviously they thought they were taking precautions maybe, but the heat is that intense. And actually I was down at the beach yesterday evening at about eight o'clock and the breeze coming in off the sea was actually hot. It was like opening an oven door, coming down to the to the beach to get a little bit of maybe cool air, a little bit of respite in the evening. That's the difference here at the moment with this type of heat. The heat coming off the Mediterranean is actually hot. Are people really worried? You obviously, you know, you're very familiar um, where, where you are in Spain. You've gone to Spain because you, you like it and you, you, you must like the warm weather, Joan. Um, how does this feel for you as somebody who is resident there and how worried are you? Well, I've been living here about a year and a half and last year I found it really difficult and we had very high temperatures. But this year I've acclimatised a lot. I have to say I'm not finding it too difficult, Claire, this year because I am following the advice. I'm sitting in my house now, I have the air conditioning on and I will have that on through the night. And I don't go out. I literally don't go out between 12 and 4 o'clock. It's just impossible to do anything anyway. You walk out the door and immediately you're, you feel like you've opened an oven door and you're swamped with this heat and you're exhausted. So I just, I follow the advice of the locals. I live in a Spanish village. I've been talking to some of the local people here and they're all agreeing, saying, my God, we've never seen heat like this. It's just exhausting.
And that was Joan Larkin talking to us about the situation in Alicante in Spain right now. Well, Timmy Dooley is still with me and I'm joined on Skype by Peter Thorne, climate scientist and professor at Maynooth University. You're welcome along to the programme, Peter. And to come to this climate report um, that was out today and what it says about the climate here in Ireland. I know we've been talking about those scorching temperatures we're seeing in Southern Europe. But what sort of climate changes have we seen in Ireland, according to that report? And what, what struck you uh, most about it? We've seen, we've seen in the last 30 years, Ireland warm considerably by several tenths of a degree centigrade. We've seen rainfall increase across the year by about 7%. We've seen an increase in sunshine. These are largely broadly in line with what we expect in a changing climate particularly the temperature aspect. That is uh, undoubtedly a, a signature of uh, the impact of our global emissions of heat trapping greenhouse gases. You're saying the rainfall um, statistics on that are, are particularly interesting in terms of how our climate is changing here. Yes, so, so rainfall is perhaps the biggest impact upon us here in Ireland. 7% is a very large amount, arguably larger than we would expect due to climate change alone, which points to the impacts of variability. And variability in precipitation is very large. In fact, many uh, climate projections uh, could, could point in the future even to decreases for multi-decadal periods. So we must, we must not oversimplify climate change. The, precipitation changes might well in part be natural variability, but there's probably a human impact in there in addition. People watching will say, look, we're talking about, you know, 45 degrees in Southern Europe right now, but, but right here in Ireland, uh, the weather has been atrocious for mid-July. Is that, is that part of the picture, Peter? How do you explain and what's the science behind what we're seeing in Europe and we're not seeing here right now? So climate change does not mean that everywhere gets warmer all the time. If certain places are warm, other places must be abnormally cool. That's just the nature of weather and weather will continue under climate change. We too quickly forget, of course, the May and June that we had with spectacular sunshine um, for, for a, an extended period of time. And so um, the 45 degrees in Europe is, in, is linked to the weather we're having. It's part of the same setup. And it's not just Southern Europe. We're seeing record-breaking heat in China, in, uh, in Japan, in parts of the US. This is heat domes across much of the Northern Hemisphere. We're just happening to be in the cool and wet side of the system. Right, so that could flip again. As you say, you describe it as a roulette wheel, which is a good way um, to try and get a picture of what's happening right now. What does 45 degree uh, temperatures, what does that do to the body? It makes it impossible to, to sustain the body for any length of time. We, we require our bodies to be regulated at about 38 degrees centigrade. That's why when it's cold, you shiver to deliver heat to the body. And when it's even in Ireland, when it's warm, uh, a particularly warm day, if you're active, you will sweat. That's your body's attempt to regulate the temperature. Now, if it's 45 degrees, it becomes impossible to cool the, cool the body down, particularly under active exercise. And I'm particularly concerned about the high nighttime temperatures because nighttime is when your body recovers fundamentally. And if it's that warm, it becomes impossible for your body to recover. And it's the very elderly and the very young who are most at risk. 
Uh, and just very briefly, Peter, in terms of are we uh, ready for this, for this next phase and, and where the trends are all heading in terms, of, um, in terms of climate change and the infrastructure that we need in this country? We're not ready. We pay lip service at most to adaptation. All of the political effort is on mitigation and we absolutely net, need to get to net zero greenhouse gases. It's only when we reach that, that we will cease the warming and stop making the problem worse. But we need to get real about the fact that we are already living in a changed climate. We will live in an even more changed climate in the future. And we need to make actions and adaptations to be resilient to that change moving forwards. Right. Otherwise, we will see repeat stories of crisis. Peter, thank you. Uh, I want to just bring Timmy Dooley in on this because at this wake up call that Peter's talking about, is the government listening? They are, and they have a very significant programme in place. And whilst the data that Peter is talking about relates from uh, 1991 to uh, 2020, um, we have seen, with the approach the government is taking, a reduction this year in greenhouse gas emissions, not as much as we'd like. Obviously, our targets by 2030 are significant. We want to have them. We have, in the last two years, uh, a 1.9%, almost 2% reduction. Um, we're getting, we're getting, Oh, a lot more to do. But we're, we're making some good progress on transport. We're making very significant progress on our proposals around moving away from using oil and, and, and coal and gas to generate electricity. As you know, we have a very ambitious programme to capture wind off our uh, western seaboard. OK, Timmy, I'm going to have to stop you there, um, but we will have to leave it there for now. My thanks to Peter who joined us, all our panellists tonight. Uh, that is it from us. Our programme is available as a podcast on all major platforms. But from all the team here, good night and take care.